Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 182. And our guest, and I, I really needs no introduction. I know I say that a lot, but he truly doesn't. It's the week of the NHL draft, so we all know that the director of scouting for TSN, longtime hockey man, one of the best at what he does, my buddy, you know, I love him like a brother. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Craig Button joins us. Craig, thanks for uh, for being on the Red and White Authority. Really appreciate it. Always my pleasure, uh, Art. And uh, you know what? Uh, we, we, we always talk about when we pick up. It just seems we pick up right from uh, the last place we left off. It's, right, right. You always, know, and, That's and, always a good place. Right. And that's always the sign of true friendship to me is when you see somebody, you haven't talked to them in a while, and you pick up right where you left off. So that's... Uh, uh, that is great. And, you know, I neglected to say, and I will say this very, very quickly, that the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's always great to end your day with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue. But we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. You know, Craig, I'm so psyched up. I forgot to uh, mention Labatt Blue, who's been the sponsor of this podcast virtually from day one. But uh, with that said, let's uh, get into something because we usually talk at the beginning of each podcast about Michigan football, uh, something that we both love. And they had a great year last year, regardless of what happened in the, in the college football playoff. But the big news is the Big Ten is going to expand at least by two teams in a couple of years. With uh, Pac-12 members, the UCLA Bruins and the USC Trojans joining, what are your thoughts? What's going on with college football right now? Well, I, I, I mean, I think that what we're all seeing now is 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 kind of super conferences, right? And, right? and 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 the super teams, you know, aligning with one another. You know, we've seen it uh, for years. Uh, you know, in, in other in other uh, conferences, and you know, probably. You know, USC and UCLA, who absolutely see themselves on a national stage, you know, are saying, hey, wait a sec, you know, maybe the Pac-10 is, isn't what it was all cracked up to be for us 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, you think about, the, I mean, the Rose Bowl used to be Big Ten, Pac-10, right? right. I mean, we, we, everybody knew what, well, that's changed now. You know, the Rose Bowl is part of the uh, uh, the national championship series, the bowl, the bowl championship series. And, you know, so you might win the Big Ten, but it doesn't mean you're going to the Rose Bowl. Going to the Rose Bowl meant a big was a big deal Without for, for, for for all those schools. So I, I think it's a reflection of the times, Art. I will say this, though. How many times have we sat uh, watching Big Ten football in the end of October, into November, and it was cold? I, I think I'm going to be jumping on those trips to UCLA and USC now. As long as they schedule the games in, in – in, October and especially November. That's when you want to be in California. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I've had friends of mine say, look, I, you know, talk about as fair play as they say for years, you know, the, uh, uh, the big 10 champ would always go to the Rose bowl and play essentially a road game where the, 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 uh, the pack 10 and pack or pack 12. Now, I guess it's called, uh, although it's losing members daily, uh, uh, would have you know play in warm weather, play essentially a home game. Let's see USC and UCLA come to Michigan in December, or pardon me, in, in in late November. Although I will say, usually USC plays Notre Dame every other year in South Bend, and depending on when that game falls, so they they've played a few cold weather games. But uh, I I guess my real quick thoughts is is that 
I wasn't really enthused, even when Penn State joined or Nebraska or Rutgers or Maryland, but maybe because of the tradition of the Rose Bowl and the Pac-10 and the Big Ten, I kind of like this move if they have to expand. I'd rather have these teams than some of the other teams that they've let in, but that's you know only my own personal thought. But, Craig, I don't know if you remember, when I was much younger, there was a point where people were speculating, and I'm talking decades ago now, that eventually college football would have one super conference of 25 teams, and that may not happen but as you just said it really looks like there's going to be two real super conferences the big 10 and the sec going at it and i think that's just the way of the world right now i mean whether you like it or not you're going to have to embrace it yeah i i i I couldn't agree with you more you know the other part of this too is in my view to add to what you just said is the nil right like so You know, the NIL now oh, yeah. has become a significant factor for, for not just recruiting players, but for keeping players. And, you know, you know, you have the portal now where, where players can enter the portal and transfer, which was never a case, right? right. So, you know, players, you know, with, with, with aspirations to play in the NFL, you know, they want to they be in places that, number one, you know, give them quality coaching and quality competition. Number two, and again, this goes back to the NIL, you know, the NIL now, you know, there's certain schools that can offer, you know, a little bit more than other schools. We know where, you know, Michigan has stood on this and, and they've been very public on it. But, you know, you start to get into recruiting and, and, and recruiting isn't just the players you're trying to get to come to your school. It's knowing that other schools are going to try to recruit players from your team, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because if, if, wherever they see a little bit of an opportunity, they're going to come after your players. Hey, you got a better chance to play here. You know, you're going to have more snaps here on this side of the ball. You're going to be you, you think about J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara, right? Like, I mean, Jim Harbaugh used those players last year intermittently in different spots and everything. J.J. McCarthy's a top, top recruit. And, you know, you, you can bet that other schools are like, hey, J.J., like, you know what, are you sure you don't want to come here? Like, you know, you're not going right. to have to play second fiddle to Cade. So those are things that are going on. I just use that as an example with uh, Michigan. But that's going on everywhere. And it's, and it's not just going on in, uh, in football. Football is the big sport. It's going on in basketball. It's going on in hockey. And so, you know, there's a lot of, the, 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 there's a lot of uh, impetus uh, for – these types of things to happen. And you're right, Art, it's different than when we were younger, much younger, right. but that is the way of the world now, it seems. Right, certainly. And, and one final question, uh, Michigan football, do you think that, uh, and I've been asked by, you can't believe how many people asked me to ask you this question, you think that finally under Jim Harbaugh, whom, you know, I call Jimmy, that, uh, that Michigan has turned a corner under Harbaugh, it took maybe longer than people anticipated, but it looks like the program is on a solid footing and will only keep ascending. I do believe that. And I think Jim came in with an idea that it would be quicker perhaps than, uh, than he realized. But at the same time, when you, when you think about, you know, when you think back years and you think about recruiting and, you know, Michigan, you know, ended up, you know, running themselves into problems in recruiting. So to be a good football team at, at the college, at the NCAA level, you're, you got to recruit. And you, you can bring in all the, the four and five star players uh, at 18. They're not ready to help you win. 
And I think that took a little bit of time for Jim to get that in order. But I think now, I mean, look what just, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, bottom right. line is, is, is what a top player. He speaks about the quality of player that's there now. I think that after, uh, you know, Jim and, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, you know, made their overtures to him. And he, he, he said, I mean, I love what he said. He goes, I was eating a hamburger. I was sitting there eating a hamburger in Minneapolis. And he said, he said, he made his mind up that he was going back to Michigan and that's where he wanted to be. And sometimes it takes an overture like that to realize that where you are is the best place for you. But, but I do believe that Jim absolutely has the, has the Wolverines on the right track. And it's not just what I think. I I, want to believe that every year, but but I really, (laughs) I, I think it's there. And I think we can see real evidence of that. Right. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, I, I, I promise everyone we'll get off the, uh, the, 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 the Michigan football talk, although Craig and I can go on forever about that, but let's turn our attentions to the draft. This will be the first time in three seasons that everybody is in the same room. If you've never been to an NHL draft when, uh, you know, for everyone listening here in the Southeast Michigan, if it, if it gets to Detroit and eventually I'm sure it will at Little Caesars Arena, the whole league is down on the ice or on the floor, I should say. They all have tables. They have little cards with their logos on it and everybody is together. It used to be that way for most drafts, I would think, but now everybody is, you know, the commissioner announces it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and nobody goes up there in jersey presentations unless the players there. I guess the teams are in their own separate cities a lot of times. I am hearing that don't that these fellas are all together. They're in Montreal, a great city to be in. That this could be like the wild, wild west. A big anything could happen. You just don't know. Once you get all these hockey guys together for the first time in years, you could have trades. You could have all kinds of things happening. Are you getting that vibe at all, Craig? Do you know, like, you know, Art, do you, uh, do you tune in to Shark Week on Discovery? <laughs> I have watched it on occasion, yes. That's what it feels like right now. <laughs> it feels exactly like Shark Week coming up here. You know, it's July. It's not usually the time when the draft is. You're into free agency. We know that there's teams that uh, are disappointed. We look at other teams that see opportunity out there. And just like Shark Week for the GMs. You know, there's GMs that are going to see blood in the water, and, and, and they're ready to and they're ready to feast. And there's other GMs that are going, oh, I hope I don't bleed here because uh, somebody might be feasting on me. Because I do believe that for the first time since 2019, with all the GMs all together, and you know, really the anticipation that we're going to be back to a regular normal season next year. You know, and salary cap only went up a little bit, so that's that, that's the opportunity that exists for teams. I see it like Shark Week, NHL Shark Week. Discovery Channel should be doing the draft this year. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, so we, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, at, at, you know, it, but it could be like anything. I mean, there could be a lot of activity. There could be a lot of talk and no activity, or it could fall somewhere in the middle. I, you know, I'm really anticipating, and I'll be honest with you, I'm really, really anticipating uh, this draft because I still think 
there's a bit of an unknown, and one of the unknowns will be, uh, it, it appears, although you've been consistent throughout, that there is now some talk about the number one pick overall. And since he got, what, exceptional status many years ago, I've heard nothing but Shane Wright. I figured that his draft year, he was the definitive number one. But now uh, Uri uh, uh, Slavkovsky has kind of entered, and I know you're high on him as well, but entered the uh, entered a little bit of the conversation uh, I know Wright is still your number one guy. Do you think that uh, there is uh, room for debate on that? Well, yeah, th- th- there can be debate on it. Here's the way I feel about it, Art. Like you know, and I and like you go back and I look back to drafts. Okay, I think back to this draft and that draft, and you know, last year's draft. You know, there was a lot of discussion. Oh, Owen Power, maybe there's better players in. Okay, you can have the debate, but where do you land at the end of the debate? And the Buffalo Sabres landed on uh, on power. Let's go back to 2019, the last time we had a full draft. You know, Capo Caco had a fantastic season. Right. Like, and then the World Championships. Oh, well, maybe Jack Hughes isn't the best player. Maybe Capo Caco. Well, debate, but at the end of it all, you know, the player that was selected first overall was Jack Hughes. And, you know, what we expected – I can go back to 2016. Believe it or not, there was discussion heading into the draft because Patrick Laine had had such a fantastic playoff in Finland and World Championship that maybe Matthews isn't the best player. Now, keep this in mind. Matthews was just named the MVP of the National Hockey League. Right. Like, those are just three recent years. You know, like, okay, when Sidney Crosby's in the draft, when Connor McDavid, and, and, hey, Matthews, to me, there was never a doubt who the best player was. There was never a doubt for me about Owen Power. There was never a doubt for me on Jack Hughes. That doesn't mean I was right. I just know what I was feeling going into the draft. But the debate is all healthy. And the debate is all good. And and, and you're going to and, – and, and I think, too, that, what, you know, Shane comes onto the scene at 14, 15, and he's really good. But most of the other players in this draft, and I, I say most of them, we didn't even know their names. We didn't let alone right. who they played for or what, right. how they played or anything when, when Shane was at the same age. So it gives players an opportunity to, to show you what they're capable of. It, it gives a scouts uh, an opportunity to evaluate those skills. And, and, and there's lots of players that are going to you know continuously develop. You, you probably heard the name Brad Lambert a lot at the right. same time you heard Shane Wright. Well, I, I, I can tell you this. I saw Brad play when he was 15. And, you know, when you're looking at him, you're going, oh, that's a pretty good player. He can skate. He can do a lot of things. I didn't even know the name Joachim Kemmel. I didn't even know. Well, guess what? People in Finland didn't know the name either. But now there's no question who the best player in Finland is. It's Joachim Kemmel. Right. But we didn't know that when they were 15. So you have to allow for that process. Very few players are identified as potential NHL players at 15. And so, you know, you got Shane Wright. What I would, what I like to say, Art, is he, he's he, he's he's competing against the field. He's one player competing against the field. <laughs> I, I still think he's the best player, but Slavkovsky's a terrific player. We go back and we can look at lots of drafts, and we can. It's not just about one player. And I'll finish with this with Shane. And you know, I I, I remember when he first I first saw him play at fourteen. Somebody said, you "Should go watch this Shane Wright kid play. He's pretty good." I went and watched, and it wasn't to evaluate. It was to get a glimpse. Okay, this is where he's at today, you know, get an idea of what his game was about, and then continue to watch. And I remember people saying, well, he's, he, he's like he's like Sidney Crosby. And I remember watching, I go, he's not Sidney Crosby. He's not even close to Sidney Crosby. So if you go into a game thinking that a player is Sidney Crosby, 
you know what? And, and he's clearly not. Well, how can you not be disappointed? And, and that leads me to the evaluation. Shane is not a player that's going to pull you out of your seat. Shane's not a player that's going to end up on the ESPN highlight reels at the end of the night on SportsCenter. He's not a player that's going to wow you. There's not flash and dash to his game. Right. But when you watch him play the game, and, and this is why I – and almost from the get-go, his game reminded me of Patrice Bergeron. Patrice Bergeron is not a, is not a superstar, but he, he, he's a star player on winning teams, and he's going to the Hall of Fame. And I see that type of player in Shane Wright. And you know what? I've said this a number of times. I've been asked, I, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times. And people go, well, you know, he doesn't pull you out of your seat. Oh, he doesn't have a wild factor. I go, you know what? I've scouted for a lot of years, and I know lots of people this guy. I have never, ever had to mark a category called wow factor or pull you <laughs> out of your seat factor or flash and dash factor. But intelligence and puck skills and competitiveness and skating, he gets high marks. And certainly Slavkovsky and Cooley and Kemmel and Yurichek and you know, I'm just naming some of the players right. at the upper part of the draft are really good players. I don't think that today, I don't see a better player than Shane Wright. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you something, too, because we uh, one of the factors, and if you look at it, there seemed to be a, uh, a, a lot of high-end Russian players this year. And I've read several accounts that some teams, because of the political situation, and trust me, we're not going to get political here about what's going on with, uh, with Russia and the Ukraine, that there is a little bit of uncertainty. If you're a Russian player playing in North America, perhaps um, you're viewed a little differently than if you're a Russian player playing in Russia because of the political situation and teams are really divided. Again, Craig, are you getting that feel or do you think it'll be business as usual when it comes down, as you've always told me for what seems like year upon year upon year, if a player's available when you're selecting, just take them. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I chuckle on a couple of uh, on a couple of levels here, so I'll go through it real quick. All right. You know, like, if you want to use the Russian factor or the political situation as a reason not to draft a Russian, you're just trying to find a reason not to draft a Russian. Okay. okay? And, and, and it's not much different. It's not much different than when the Russians were coming into the NHL in, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, okay? It was the same thing. Oh, we're not drafting a Russian. Then you, you, start to, you start to see the quality of player. If you didn't know the quality of player, then you weren't paying attention. But you can find a reason not to do anything you want. And I, I think teams will, will, will fall back on, on, on any type of rationale if they believe, oh, no, we're not going to draft them. And, and where I finish on this, and I, 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 I remember it as clear as yesterday, and it was 1995. We were at the draft in Dallas. Jim Lights was our president. Mm -hmm. And Peter Buzak, who would have been a high, high pick, ended up in a car accident. Anyway, we had him evaluated. We had him over to Dallas. Anyway, we we, we're coming up, and, and the evaluation was good. You know, he was going to heal. Would he get back to what we he, – he probably would have gone top ten picks. That's how good Peter was. Mm -hmm. But broken leg, broken arm, you know, some injuries at that age. Anyway – and, but we, we we became pretty satisfied uh, from the medical report that he was somebody worthy of taking. Anyway, we got to the third round, and we're sitting around our table. And I remember Jim Lights. He said to us, he goes, well, who are you going to draft? Mo Schmickelsmart? Mo Schmickelsmart? Like, great, you can draft him. He goes, or you can draft a kid that you thought was a real high-end player. He said, that's exactly how we got Federoff. Right, right. 
in the fourth round. So if you want to look, if you want to look at reasons not to draft somebody, you can find every reason in the book. But when you're looking at quality and and, and what what you're doing today may not have any bearing in two years time or three years time, and that's when you're really looking to see these players come into the league and help you. Igor Shosturkin. I mean, he was a finalist for the Hart Trophy. Right. He got drafted in the fourth round. He came over when he was 23 years of age. You wait for him. You wait for good players. And I, I, I would say it's the same this year. And, you know, Ivan Moroshnichenko, who's a really good offensive player, really good goal scorer, he, he was diagnosed with, with Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, he has now been given a 100% clean bill of health after his treatment. Great. So, you know, so, I mean, that might have been a factor in him. But, you know, when, when you're looking at, at elite goal scoring, you look at Yurov, who's, who's such a high-quality player, you know, and, and they're, they're in Russia. I, I don't – you want to pass up quality, that's great. But there's not a lot of quality like that. So, at some point in time, the teams that are open-minded are going to draft those players. And the teams that are closed-minded, we're never going to draft them. They just now have an excuse. Right, you know, I I love I, I, first of all, I, lo- I love your uh, your breakdown there, but I also love that you brought up Sergey Fedorov because Jimmy Devolano told me Fedorov's draft year because obviously back then it was the Soviet Union uh, that you know they were staying away from from players from the Soviet Union or Russian players, and uh, Jimmy said he looked at his scouts and they all were in agreement that they thought not only was Fedorov a great player, they thought he was probably the best in the draft. And Jimmy said, well, then let's take him. What are we waiting for? Because there was that uncertainty that, you know, if it was going to be another uh, Fatisov or Larionov thing, when they're in their 30s, they'll let him go because they, they feel that, you know, hey, okay, yeah, he, you know, go to the NHL, make some money, and give half of it back to the Russian Hockey Federation. But with all that said, uh, I, I mean – I think that the way this business is, it's such an international game. Players are all over the world now that, you know, you know, hey, I'm a big tennis fan. I'm watching Wimbledon. There's no Russian players there this year. You know, I mean, I, I understand and I get it and, you know, take a stand and all that. But, wow, I think that you're really not doing your job if you don't look at every aspect every avenue available to you to make your team better but that's just my own thought you know but well, i'm with you and and, and 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 you know you think about this and you know i want to just quickly go back to what you talked about with uh you know the coming week and everybody being together think about where we found ourselves you know post march 2020 right season paused season picked up we didn't know when the season was going to start. I mean, we had a we had a virtual draft in October of 2020, and then you know the the, the next season didn't start until January, and then and then it was you know a Canadian division and and, and travel and you know COVID wreaked havoc in, in a lot of different ways with the scheduling and whatnot, uh, you know, not to mention what it did on, you know on, on all corners of society, and then. You come out of you come out of that season, and then even this year there was uncertainty. You know, and, and think about this: uh, vaccination status. You know, what right. are the travel rules? How, how are we going to deal with COVID? So I, I think that in the last two years, the last two off seasons, GMs weren't sure what to do. 
they weren't sure, you know, what could change. You, you, you go and acquire a player, you know, how could you trade a player from a Canadian team to a U.S. team? Like, you know, what was that? We saw it with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Pierre-Luc said he never got comfortable in, in, in Winnipeg. You know, couldn't integrate, had to quarantine, you know, had to isolate for long periods of time. You see players that get lost. So NHL teams, I think, really took a, a cautious approach because of the uncertainty. Well, it seems right now in this offseason, the shackles are off. And that's why I think we're going to see lots of movement. Well, you know, I kind of am leaning that way, too. And I guess for what I do or just the, you know, the geek in me, I hope there's a lot of movement. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. And as it stands now, the Red Wings have 10 draft picks. And so uh, there could be a lot of wheeling and dealing uh, uh, by Steve when it said when when. when they finally all get to Montreal, which uh, I believe is uh, most of them are going to be there by tomorrow, uh, most teams. But I, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, and, and I'm not Shane Wright obsessed, but obviously he didn't play much because of COVID. He had a, the OHL had no season, and uh, Canadian Hockey League didn't have a season. Did that really? Do you think we're having this debate about him being number one overall? simply because he was a victim of circumstance. The circumstance, of course, being COVID. Yeah, well, so, so, so you're right. So victim of circumstance. I mean, there was a lot of players in, in, in a similar situation to, uh, to Shane. And he, even players that had an opportunity to play might have played two dozen games or, right. you know, 20 games. They, they, didn't get, they didn't get a full season of competition. They didn't get a full season uh, that included playoffs and international play. They didn't get it. So while Shane didn't play, he played six games from March of 2020 until October of 2021. Six games. That's 18 months he didn't play, but six games. Now, what I can tell you is this. Up until March of 2020, I mean, he was a dominant player. I mean, he came into the OHL, scored 39 goals. Then he doesn't play for a year or just over a year. He comes back to the U18. He, he's a year younger than just about every single player there and was dominant. He was the best player there. <laughs> like, <laughs> so so now he comes back, and, and, and you set the bar high, and, and, and I get it. Like, he set the bar high. Now people's expectations become higher. Well, he starts out the year. They have a new coach in Kingston. You know, you're trying to get acclimated. You know, a lot of players haven't played. If anything about Shane, he, he's got a real precision to his game. And I think that, you know, the, the, the responsibility quotient that he plays with is a 10. Like, and that's you're not going to change that. That's him. That's in his DNA. I really believe that if Shane wanted to go out and score 60 goals this year and get 140 points, he could have done it. Right. But that's not him. That's not what you're getting with him. But sometimes scouts you know, look at the game in, in the, through their own lens and, 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 oh, geez, he wasn't very good tonight. Well, define not very good. Do you understand the circumstances around it? What was he doing? And then you watch what he did over the course of the year. I mean, almost 100 points, you know, on a young team, got them uh, into the second round of the playoffs. And yet I keep, well, you know, one of the, one, the you know, I saw him in a couple of playoff games. He wasn't very good. Shane had never played in an OHL playoff game. Like, you know, so th- th- these types of things bear, but th- th- and they bear both ways. You know, you know how, how you're evaluating, what you're uh, expecting. But, but I asked this question, and I've asked it a number of times. Art. I, I have, and I've asked it of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Wh- where were you concerned about his level of excellence? Hmm. Well, 
You know, I, and, and like people can't give me a definitive answer. I, and, and what what I shouldn't say, some people are really good. But I sit down and I say to myself, so your expectations were such that you thought he should have done more. So maybe your expectations were out of whack. I remember so clearly, I talked about things that you just never forget. I remember being in Dallas, Bob Ganey was our manager. And we're talking about a player and he's, and he, you know, we, we had him rated fairly high and he's, he's going down and you know what, it's coming to the end of the second round and near the end of the first round. And, you know, people, we had some scouts, so maybe we should be, you know, maybe we should be trying to, trying to uh, get a pick. And Bob looked at us and he goes, are you sure we didn't rate him too high? Hmm. <laughs> well, here we are thinking right. that oh my God, look at this player, right? Like, right. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a condemnation. It was just a reminder. There's multiple ways to look at it. We're right. looking at it in a in, in a sense of like, oh, look at how we have him rated high. Look at we got to go get this guy. Are you sure we don't have him rated too high? Huh? And I think that that goes in evaluation all the time. What are your expectations? I'll tell you a quick story. In November of 2019. I went to watch Alexi Lafreniere play in Schwinnigan. Mm -hmm. There had to be 45 scouts there. Now, how I mark, I marked the game different ways with different positions and whatnot. But it was a 2-1 game. Alexi had one assist, his team lost. And as I'm walking out of the building, scout, oh, geez, he didn't do very much tonight. He didn't do very much tonight. He didn't do this. Boy, oh, how disappointed. And I'm thinking to myself, so I go back, and, I, and I'm evaluating my notes. And I go, I had him down, Art, for 18 Grade A scoring chances he created or had himself. So I'm thinking, okay. So the next day I go watch the video of the game. And I was wrong. There was only 17 that I counted. I, I gave him <laughs> I gave him a credit for one too many. Yeah, he, he only had one assist, but he was a going concern all game long. So I don't know what the expectations of other scouts were, but all I know is this, is that if you go in and you're looking for something and, and it's not there, Sometimes you got to look inward and say, was I looking for too much? Or am I looking for the right things? You, you can look at the stat sheet and come out and go, geez, he had four games four, or four goals. Yeah, we know he had four goals. Listen, Michael Misa was given exceptional status. He's going to play in Saginaw next year. Mm -hmm. I watched Michael play this year. I watched a lot of kids play. He was not going to get exceptional status. But he ended up having a really good, they call it the OHL Cup in Ontario, which is the U16 players. And he was really good. So they thought, well, you know what? Like, we'll give him exceptional status. And I'm going, wait a second here. You weren't going to give it to him. But now based on a, on a week-long, on a five-day tournament, and he played, he did play well. You're going to give it to him? Like, be careful here on, on, on evaluating players over really, really short observation periods. Right. Well, you know, it, it, it kind of is, uh, you know uh... – flavor of the day kind of you know when yes. something happens and boom you know you you suddenly catapult yourself um into the stratosphere and instead of maybe taking a step back like what bob ganey said let's 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 hold off here fellas <laughs> let's kind of look back at our evaluation process here is maybe maybe we've uh uh, we're overly enthusiastic or something, but, uh, you know, but gosh, Craig, I mean, you know, not to get all philosophical, but boy, that just seems to be the way of the world today. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. And, and Michael Meese is a good player. Don't get me wrong here, but like, like, like 
like he was good before the OHL Cup. And right. if if he was really good before that and he didn't have an OHL Cup, he would still be a good player. How many times, Art, over the course of your career, have you seen top-end players in, in all sports have a game or a, a stretch of time where they weren't at their best? It doesn't mean they're not good players anymore. They just went through a, a tough stretch. And I know one thing about young players and young people, not just young players, young people. The, the, the one thing that, that is consistent with them is they're inconsistent. Right. Yeah, if it wasn't for inconsistency, they wouldn't be consistent at all. Is the old expression? You're exactly, yeah, well said. So you know, and, and and they're trying to find their way. They're trying to mature. And so when you ask me about Shane, I I, I think that that's it. And but but having watched them for as long, and, and I watch the other players lots too, and they're good players. I I just think that sometimes expectations uh, become such that you know a, a player almost uh, unless he has this like every game is one of these unbelievable games that somehow the expectations weren't met and, you know, somehow the player gets penalized in evaluations and, and the narrative changes. And when you've had an opportunity to watch a player for a long time, I think that that uh, also factors in. Right. Well, yeah, I w- want to talk about a couple of uh, the quick pro- uh, uh, top prospects who probably won't be there at number eight. As it stands now, the Red Wings are drafting eighth overall uh, uh, on Thursday night uh, of this coming week. And uh, But I want to ask you uh, about uh, a couple of players. I know we spent a lot of time on Shane Wright, um, but what about uh, Yuri Slavkovsky? I mean, is he a Slavko- Slavkovsky? Is he... Can you tell us a little bit about him, and do you think that uh, he is going to be the second pick overall? I think for the New Jersey Devils, you know, it, it's one thing to, to to move up in the lottery and from their spot and then go up to two. But but when you get a player, and Slavkovsky is that player, that just fits in perfectly to what you're trying to do. You know, they have Jack Hughes, they have Nico Hischer, they drafted Alexander Holtz, a couple of years ago, right. they drafted Dawson Mercer. These are all really good players. And, you know, now you get Slavkowski, six foot four. He's got power to his game. He's got a real intense drive to his game. He's smart. He can grind it out on the wall. He can play a skating, quick tempo game. He, he's got those qualities in and around the net where he can carve out space. And he, he becomes a really difficult player to mark. I don't think he's going to be a 90-point or an 80-point player in the NHL, but, but he's going to help other players have lots of success. Mm-hmm. He's going to help other. He's going to help a team have success, and you're always trying to round out your team. You know, we we, we start off all the time talking about Michigan uh, football, mm-hmm. but you know, like I, I say this all the time. You know, if if you have a really good quarterback, you need a really good offensive line, but you can't just have an offensive line. You need wide receivers that can that can run and catch the ball and get themselves open and if you don't have that whole blend uh on your offense and in your personnel on your offense you're you're, you're going to run yourself short in different areas it's the same thing with a hockey team you know what you, you need good centermen you need play you need playmakers you need goal scorers you need players that are going to go grind it out and you know, play along the, the, the boards and in the corners. You need defensemen that will move the puck. Right. It's not just about one type of player. And so I think that Slavkovsky absolutely rounds out the New Jersey Devils in a really significant manner. So it's nice that they get a chance to, 
you know, look at the look at the upper part of the draft, you know, one two, but but I think Slavkovsky ends up with them. You know, it, it, it is it is uh, it is a case of uh, a perfect fit for me. Well, when you look at another player that you know that I really like, and you know, I, again, there's there's so many different reports and everything that I've looked at. He could be maybe, perhaps, the best pure goal scorer out of every every kid that's uh, that's going to be eligible for the draft this coming uh, Thursday and Friday in Montreal is uh, uh, Joachim uh, Kamel. I know we've talked about him a little bit, but. Uh, is uh, I would assume he's off the board when the Red Wings pick at number eight. Well, I, I'll tell you what I think, Art, and, and this is the, the this is the term I use to describe Yoakum. I think he's a bloodthirsty offensive player, Ooh. and by bloodthirsty, he kind of follows our Shark Week theme, right? But like <laughs> he, 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 he 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 smells blood in the water, and it doesn't matter where he is on the ice. He's got a mentality that he's going to take advantage. And not only does he have that mentality, he's got the skill to match. He, he can score on the rush. He can score in tight. He can score in, from different areas on the ice. He can score, you know, battling in and around the net. He can score off the one-timer. But he's a really good two-way player. I mean, when I, when I say bloodthirsty, I, I think of Philip Forsberg. I, I, I think of that player wow. that's just so driven, driven, driven. Uh, to, to score and make a difference. And, you know, he, 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 he challenges opponents in, in, in this regard. He says, stop me if you can. Stop, because I'm not stopping myself. So it's up to you if you want to stop me. And that's why I think, that's why I use the term a bloodthirsty offensive player. Keep this in mind. He was the leading scorer in the Finnish Pro League, the SM Liga, up until near the end of November when he got hurt. He was a leading goal scorer. And he was the leading point producer. As a 17-year-old, this kid wow. to me is high, high end. Wow. So, yeah, well, it, 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 well I, I didn't think he was going to be there. Now, after your assessment there, Craig, I'm convinced he's not going to be there at number <laughs> eight. But uh, another player that I really, really like, and it's not because he pulled off the Michigan in, uh, in, in the uh, World Junior t- Tournament or the uh, – um, the world championship, but uh, that is Logan Cooley. I know he's not the biggest guy, but he looks like he's pretty, uh, pretty skillful player. Oh, he's skilled. You know, you know, I, I like to use comparables and, and, and like the style a player plays to compare him to a current NHL. So to try to give people a visual image. And when I watch Logan play, I see Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes. Wow, I love that and, and we talk, but we talk about size, right? Like, Logan, like, you know, I worry, I see lots of big players that, that, that their size is no advantage. They just happen to be tall, but their size isn't an advantage. They, they can't get through the, the tight areas. They can't operate in small spaces. And conversely, you see players that aren't as tall that never get confined. And that to me is Logan Cooley. He's never confined. He, he always knows where his openings are. He always knows where there's an opportunity to create more space. He, he, he sees where he, he, uh, an opponent might be trying to shut him down, but, but, but he knows where his opportunities exist to open up space for himself. He's got 360-degree awareness. He's got that ability to not only make plays, and you're a good goal scorer, you're going to get the pocket great spots from Logan Cooley. He can also score. I, I really believe that Logan has the ability to be a really, like, he, he might be uh, like a, an equal goal scorer playmaker in, in time. 
because he 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 can score, and and I think that the scoring and once his shot becomes better, I I think it'll open up even more playmaking for him. But we're, we're looking at a at, at a player that's really really dynamic, and I look for players that like and five ten and a half isn't small in my view, but right. who are elusive and evasive, and that's Logan Cooley. Uh, well, you know, I yeah, I'm almost going to follow maybe your top ten on your Craigslist and then go get specifically in the Red Wings sure. and what they may or may not do. But there's a couple of defensemen now. I don't think that defense is a priority for the Red Wings yet. If one of these two fellows happen to fall to number eight, and I'm talking about David Yerichek uh, uh, and uh, Simon uh, Nemitz, um, I think Detroit, hey, you know, Steve Light is going to be building when you got Kosa. And from, from from the crease out, uh, what can you tell us about both of those players? And uh, I doubt if either one of them is going to be there at eight. But uh, uh, your assessment of the uh, the two top D-men by everyone's accounts in this draft. Well, why don't I start with David Yerichek? Because, you know, you know what I've called them? I've called them a lowercase Mo Sider. Oh, wow. You know? but yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're talking about the rookie of the year in the NHL. And obviously... You know, when the, when the Red Wings drafted most Cider, people looked at it, oh, my Lord. Well, you know, there was a lot that most Cider was going to be drafted in the top 10. And Steve Eiserman knew that. And, you know, you can explore trading back and people. But Steve knew. Steve knew the lay of the land. And, you know, and then he landed the rookie of the year. And I don't think David has the same offensive ability as most Cider. Uh, and, but but he, he, he's got a game that resembles it. He can shoot the puck. He's really confident with the puck. Like I said, I don't think he's got the same passing ability as Mo, and, and and he might have. But but he's a defense. He's a player in his defensive zone that that really really plays hard. And and you know he defends hard and he you, he takes space from opponents. And you know he had a knee injury this year uh, at the World Junior Tournament, the abbreviated World Junior Tournament that took him out for a period right. of time. But I also think that it helped him. It helped him just kind of. You know, work on on, on his uh, physical maturity and his physical strength. Came back, played on the senior team, was really good in the Czech Extra Liga when he played. You know, had some national team experience, and I, I think he's a player that you know certainly as a right shot defenseman, a, a two three defenseman that could you know really really you know help a blue line. Like I mean, if if you talk about having a one two of Cider and Yurichek, who, who wouldn't be excited about that? Or, Nobody, right. and Simon Nemitz, who's a, who's a, another right shot defenseman, but he, he's a different type of defenseman. He's a he's what I call a real slick, heady, skilled defenseman, but good defensively. And and to me, defensemen now have to be able to beat pressure. They have to be able to make a play under pressure in the defensive zone, and to be able to make a play, you know, so you can move out of your defensive zone. And Simon does all of those things. And then once he gets into the attack, he's great in transition, and he's really good in the offensive zone. He can thread that needle like nobody's business in terms of defensemen in this draft. And when you're in the offensive zone, you know, you have to be able to open up lanes for yourself. You have to be able to thread the needle, so to speak. You have to be able to understand, you know, how to get the puck into your best player's hands so that they can do something closer to the net uh, you know, take advantage of, of their scoring ability. Simon knows all those things, and 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 he's he's got a maturity in his game. He's got a maturity in his personality. I mean, he's played 
at, at the Olympics and the World Championships and then the senior team. He was he was a force in the playoffs this year uh, in the uh, in, in in the Slovak Extra Liga, and I think that you know he's a player. That just that just screams top pair defenseman in the National Hockey League. Wow, yeah, you know, again, I don't think either one of them are going to be there, but uh, but if one of them is, you know, I, I you know I don't put anything in past Steve, and uh, you know it doesn't matter. Uh, Edvinson's on the way. Uh, Albert Johansson, we hear, you know, has really made some great strides, and he could be a real sleeper to make the roster uh, coming out of training camp. Uh, uh, this coming season for the Wings. But with that said, the player that I really like, and uh, you, you know, I've heard just several different pronunciations of his name, uh, uh, that I, I hope is there because he has good size, he has goal-scoring ability, he, he played for the development program out in Plymouth. Uh, uh, that is uh, Cutter um, uh, Gauthier. Uh, he seems to be one player, Craig, that has really ascended up the ranks a little bit here. At that one time, I thought, oh, wow, if Cutter's there at eight, I'm sure the Red Wings are going to take him. Now it looks like Cutter is not going to be there at eight. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, the pause and postponements and cancellation, cancellations because of COVID. You know, the Cutter Goche. And, and I'm going to mention another name here, Jimmy Snuggeroo. They came in with right. that 2004 cohort in, into the National Team Development Program in Plymouth. So you watch them, and, you know, I knew a little bit about them and had seen a little bit of them when they were U-17. I went to watch them in the fall of 2021. I was, I was blown away by how much they both those players had improved. How, how, how much you talk about ascending up the ranks. I was blown away by how much their games had ascended, like where they were impactful, like not just one shift or on the, like just going concerns all the time uh, over the course of the game. And, and, and then that just, it, it just, it just elevated from there on. I think Cutter Goche is the best goal scorer in the draft. Really? I think he's the best goal scorer in the draft. I think he can score from 45 feet. I think he can score from 10 feet. I think he can score on the drive. He can score on a rebound. He can score on a tip. He can score from the left side or the right side. And he's hungry and he's determined. And he, I call him one shot and it's inability. How many players have one shot and it's inability? He's the only guy in this draft that I see that with. Wow. And you know that I, I talked about. I talked about Kemmel. You know, we talked about Cooley. Like they're they're really good. And you know, but. What I see in Cutter is is somebody that's like unique. I see a unique, unique player with respect to his goal scoring ability. So, and he's big. You know what? And and Art, I'm going to be real straight with you. And I'm yeah. very straight with it. Everything being equal, and I'm talking about skill or close to equal. You're taking the bigger guy over the smaller guy every single time. And and I just throw Snuggerud in here as well. Mm-hmm. Cutter Goche and Jimmy Snuggerud are big, strong, skilled, skilled players wow. well, some of those smaller when I talk about some of the smaller players get drafted ahead of those guys I'll say it right now teams make mistakes really well I, I don't know if that bodes well for the wings or not drafting at eight and you know and I'm kind of focused in but I, you know uh, now you talked about Snuggerud and, and I know you've kind of assessed his game but he he was next you know on the list right after uh, right after Cutter 
again, just a big, strong player. He uh, he's listed at six one and a quarter. Um, uh, Fifty nine games played for the development program for the U 18s uh, uh, Twenty four. Uh, 24 goals, 63 points. Uh, I, I, again, uh, I, I guess based on on your assessment and from what I've read, because he seems to be a player, as you said, has ascended along with Cutter up through the ranks, uh, that he could be a future Red Wing, even though he is a winger, not a center. Yeah, but that's, you know, you, you know again, when he... You watch the NHL playoffs and you see those big players and those right. big skilled players make a difference, right? right? And you don't have to just always be. I mean, like I, I hear lots of, and nobody knows Alex Kalorn better than Steve Eiserman. He had fifty. He had almost sixty points this year in the regular season. I know he went through a uh, through, through a period of time where he didn't score. And people, oh, what do you do with Alex Kalorn? What do you mean? What do you do with Alex Kalorn? He had almost sixty points. What do you do? Get rid of him? He's got a good contract. You know, and so when I watch you, you know, you watch some of the, 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 the players that can really take it. Look at what Buffalo's doing. Buffalo now, they got Alex Tuck. They got Tage Thompson. Right. Yeah, they have some, but they're adding size. And, and they're going to be, Buffalo's on the rise here. And if you want to be competitive when it matters, when it matters, you better get some size. And you better have some size on the blue line, and you better have some size on the wall. Jimmy Snuggerud and Cutter Goche add skill, competitiveness, and size. Wow. Well, that sounds like two uh, two players that obviously you're kind of checking all the boxes, at least my boxes, for what the Red Wings yeah, really me need. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, a player I really liked, and I think it was like uh, the U18s, I guess, where he really kind of uh, I took notice of him is a is a, a Swedish player. Uh, so that means he's high on the Red Wings list regardless. Uh, I, I would think, I would assume. I don't have any inside information or anything here about what the Wings are thinking, you know. Uh, but uh, Jonathan uh, Luker Mackey, um, I, I thought that he was he was dynamic, but I've only seen a small sample. But uh, uh, if he's at eight, uh, do you think the Red Wings pluck him? Well, I mean, he, he, here's what I think, okay? So, like, as we just went through, I mean, the number of players, right? Right, right. I really believe this, okay? I Like, the, the Red Wings are going to hit a really good player at eight. <laughs> like, that's what I think. I just and, – and there's other players that, 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 that we'll talk about, other players we won't talk about. I, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, it's funny, Yard, over the years, you know, you get a sense of how other teams think, you know. A team picking 10, you know – they don't have the confidence, and you hear them say, well, yeah, it looks like the draft is eight deep. Well, of course, and guess what? If you were picking eight, the draft would be probably six deep. Right. You know, right. they don't have the same confidence, and I don't think that that exists with Steve Eisenman no. and his group in, in any way, shape, or form. And so, you know, when I say at eight, they're going to get a really good player, I don't have any doubt about it. And Jonathan LeCaramacchi is a really good player. I mean, and, and, and one of the things that stands out to me about Jonathan is is the is, is the brain power mm-hmm. the the processing power he is so good at being able to size up what is what he's confronted with and he's a problem solver in real time quick processing you had the great luxury this year of watching lucas raymond and let me just say this i'm shocked that he wasn't named to the all-rookie team you can go look at my ballot i had him on my all-rookie team and i'm sh- shocked that he wasn't uh you know uh, there at the end of the day, 
you know, a, a finalist for the rookie of the year. Sorry, not right, not right, right. He was finalist. on the all rookie team, but yeah, right, he was. Right. I, I was shocked because you know I, I really felt that Mo Sider, Trevor Zegras, and Lucas Raymond were the best three rookies, and that's not to take away from 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 Michael Bunting or from Jeremy Swayman or anything like that. Uh, I, I, it's just that I, I thought the the thing that stands out, and I, I, I'm, I, I think it stands out for you too, is how smart a player Lucas is. Oh, no how doubt. he never gets he never gets caught in spots where he's vulnerable. He never gets caught in areas where you know he, he what, what I call he's flailing to try to survive a situation. He, he's always the player that's hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm going to do. I think Lakaramaki has no similar type of thinking ability, and you know Lucas did this this year at 19. Just wait, just wait till he's 20 and 21. Just wait, because I mean where he's headed is is high end, and I think that Lakaramaki has that similar type like mind, but he's but he's a good skater. He's got change of pace, a quickness, and a and a darting quickness that in stride he sees the slightest opening, boom, he can hit it, and. You know, once you get stronger, we talk about players getting more physically mature, right? Well, that's one thing. But it, you can become stronger and faster. But if the brain doesn't process where you need to be faster, you're not going to be able to take advantage. I already see that in Lakaramaki. So I know in my mind that when he does become physically stronger and faster, he's going to be able to take advantage because, because the mind understands so quick what he can do. And he, he can shoot the puck and he can make plays. And I'll tell you this, too. He's a hard player to stop because, you know, he's always what I call next play. Like he's on the next play, next play, next play, next play. He, he's not just thinking about what I got to do right now. He, he's processed in advance of this play onto the next play and the play after that. Uh, like, again, and, and he went into the, S, in, into the uh, Swedish Hockey League, SHL, and did really, really well. You know, your garden where he played – had a real mess of a situation this year at the outset. They had right. to change their coach. And, you know, then Lakaramaki, they got it, you know, they got it on track and he, he became a big part of a of a young group of players that are trying to get your garden back on track in the SHL. You know, you know, I, I you quickly on Lucas Raymond again, you know, people were saying, who does he remind you of? Because, you know, I, I mean he was the Red Wings couldn't send him to Grand Rapids. I mean, he he won a job from like virtually day one of training camp all the way through. I, I kept saying, I don't know how they send him back. I mean, he he has to make the team. But as I watched him, and I really watched, you know, I would focus in on him when he was out on the ice. And this is going to sound weird, and and some people think I I you know I might be over trying to sell it, but I'm not. Even though they're completely different players. But the way he moved around the ice, and as you talked about anticipating the play, he reminded me a bit of the, how Brett Hall would go. I'm not going to say unnoticed, but Brett kind of had a very sly kind of game. I know he had a great shot, and he would always be set up for the one-timer. But the way he moved around the ice and the way he thought the game, I see characteristics, and I know people disagree with me on this, but Lucas Raymond kind of has those same characteristics to me. But, Craig, and, you know, I, I obviously, I really respect you. Am I just being full of it right here? No, you're not being full of it. I mean, you know, one of the things, too, and, you know, Brett, you know, obviously, I mean, 700-plus goals right, in the exactly. NHL. Yeah, right? I'm, I mean, not, I'm know, not saying he's a goal. No, I'm not I know, saying I know, it's no, games but, are but different. But I know exactly but. what you mean. 
because I, I don't think like Brett Hall was a great goal scorer. He was a great goal scorer. I don't think Brett all in all, for the most part, ever got credit for being like an exceptionally smart player. Right. I remember when he was with us in Dallas and I remember Bob Gainey saying to Ken Hitchcock, using penalty killing. And Ken was like, you know, Ken always listened and, you know, processed things. And Bob says, he goes, he's smart. He can kill penalties. He can play. Put, put, like, if you just want to put Brett into a, in, into a box, you know, he, he, he'll he be that goal scorer. But there's a lot. Bob always felt there was a lot more with Brett's game than sometimes he was given credit for. So he always encouraged Ken to, to use them in different spots and, and to not hesitate using them and, and to rely on them. Because he said Brett could do all those things in the game from a thinking point of view. And, you know, he, he was a great goal scorer, one of the best that's ever played in the NHL. But he was he was so good in so many different areas. I mean, Art, you were there, 2002. Right. Luke Robitaille on the left wing, Brett Hall on the right wing, and Pavel Datsuk, the the young kid in the middle of the ice. Just think about just think about that the, the the collective hockey IQ amongst those three. Oh gosh, yeah, you're right. And you know, and even though I you know I've asked Steve this, but uh, I, I I am convinced the number one factor if you want to be a Red Wing, the the thing that they look at more than anything is is hockey IQ. You have to have a high hockey IQ above everything else, and you know certainly. Uh, Lucas Raymond is there. Mo Sider's uh, obviously there. But I, I really did think, and this is when, because you know, I remember him as St. Louis and Dallas, and I, I remember Brett Hall certainly as a player, but when he got to be a Red Wing and I was able to watch him game in and game out, I, I walked away amazed at just how smart he is. You know, yeah. because oh, he's yeah. he's a little bit of a screwball. He likes to have a little bit of fun too. I always enjoyed his company, but I mean, but he was all business out on the ice. I mean, so... Uh, uh, he was, and, and if you and if you respected that thinking ability and 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 the many, I mean, Brett had many layers to his game, right? And I think if you you tapped into it, I mean, Brett was a strong player. He was a strong personality, but yeah, you, you know, you think about different uh, di- different players. We don't want all the players to be the same, and I right. I think we're seeing players be able to express themselves. You know. I, like, you know, I, I watch how Bill Belichick handles his different players in New England and how Steve Kerr handles his different players with the Golden State Warriors, Greg Popovich. I, I, I think that that's a hallmark of good coaching. You, you can't just have cookie-cutter personalities and a cookie-cutter approach. Brett Hall needed things that were different from, a, from another player. And uh, another player may need something different than Brett Hall. And good coaches recognize what that is, and they, they 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 understand it, but then they also embrace it in, in in terms of you know how they how they work with those players. Sir Alex Ferguson, who coached Manchester United for years, mm-hmm. they told a they told a great story how he he brought young players through the system in Manchester United, and uh, uh, you know Ryan Ryan Giggs, you know the young player who was who was a who was a great great player for England. But he came up through Manchester United, and you know what? But you know, Sir Alex Ferguson was always telling him, you know what? You got to have your top button tie, your your top button, <laughs> get your top button done up, and get your tie up, and everything. And so, you know, like, and, and 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 you know, he needed something different than other players. But they ended up getting. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of his name. Uh, he was. I, I want to get. Uh, uh, 
geez, it was. I know exactly who it is. His name was Eric Cantona. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember him. Yep. He came over from France, and he had a flair about him. And he, and he had a flair on the field and off the field. But Alex Ferguson understood him. And, and Cantona always talked about how he let me be free as a person, which allowed me to be free on the pitch. Anyway, they, uh, Giggs is telling the story, and, you know, he's, he's, he goes, oh, uh, coach, the manager comes up to me one time and he says, you know, I have to, uh, 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 you have to get that top button done up. He's going, oh yeah, here it is. He notices everything. <laughs> and I, he, he said, Cantona comes in in this white uh, suit, flashy red belt, a scarf and everything. And, he, and he's sitting there thinking to himself, he goes, oh, Alex is going to really give it to this guy. He said he, he came over and he said, he goes, gentlemen, this is a style. And when you can have style like this, you can dress like this. I circle back to, I circle back, hey, Alex Ferguson was one of the best managers ever, right? right. And, uh, and I really believe, and I really believe that, you know, when you talk about Brett Hall, to, to get the most out of people and to get the most out of a player, you need to understand what, what 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 that player thrives on and what makes that player uh, beat. And I think that when you talk about Brett Hall, he he had a lot of layers to him. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, really, it, uh, it, it you know he's uh, it, you know watching him play. But like I said, I mean, I, I just say it, and I'm not, I don't mean to be redundant here. But when I watch Lucas Raymond's game, when I watch every shift that he takes, and you know, rarely is he out of position. He doesn't get hit a lot. He doesn't, you know, and he can take a hit too. I mean, he's he he's got his bell rung a few times, but the way he anticipates and he glides all over the ice, I I, I always used to think because I would that a uh, Brett Hall, I go, boy, he's got a similar kind of uh, uh, ice presence that uh, that Brett Hall does, even though they're different players. Uh, all right, uh, one more. Let's let's round out the top ten, and then we'll get into the Red Wings. We're already have talked for almost an hour here, so and I know Craig's really busy, so I, I'm going to try to speed this up just a bit. But uh, a player, another defenseman, uh, Kevin uh, Korchinski, who plays in Seattle in the, the WHL, six two and a quarter, um, uh, sixty seven games played, sixty five points, four goals. I'm not sure if he's available at eight, depending on, I would assume, the forwards available, if the Red Wings would be interested in him. But he does round out your top ten on your final Craigslist. What can you tell us about Kevin? Well, here's what I'll do. Okay, again, I go back to the comparable type. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've compared him to Shea Theodore, who plays in Vegas. That type of a thinker, that type of a skater, that type of a puck distributor. And... Kevin Korczynski compares himself to Shea Theodore. I go, oh, okay, maybe we're on to something here, right? You know, you look at the four goals, 61 assists, and you start to think, but what Kevin is exceptional at, he knows where the puck has to go at the right times where you can create advantages for your team and and, and maximize the abilities of different players. In the offensive zone, he's got a calm and cool presence inside that blue line. He's a really good skater. He's a really good thinker. But, you know, that ability to, to have the puck on his stick and then when it moves from his stick to another player's stick, you're gaining advantages. Like, w- w- when I watch him play the game, 
you know, and, and he plays it in a really what, what, what I call uh, a progressive advantage that he creates for his team. It, it's like watching somebody play chess. You know, mm-hmm. okay, what does that move lead to? Well, that well that moves that move might have just put you into a little bit stronger position, and then and then it's all these series of of getting your getting your team into stronger positions. He also does it in the defensive zone where he he alleviates pressure and he doesn't create disadvantages for your team. He 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 he's so good at being able to say no, this is the play, and sometimes that play is just simple and it's going to come out of trouble and we're going to regroup. But if you're playing with Kevin Korczynski, I will tell you this. Be ready to get the puck on your tape. And it doesn't matter where he is or where you think he might be in trouble. Anywhere on the ice, that puck's coming onto your tape. And the biggest thing I think Kevin has to learn is that sometimes moving the puck a little bit quicker is better than trying to hold on to it because he wants to make that that good, strong, precise play. Sometimes it isn't there. You know, it's like a quarterback arc. Just hey, the coverage was too good. You know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have my linemen. You know, chase around the uh, the defensive uh, linemen around. I'm just throwing the ball away. I'm not trying. To, I'm not gonna force it into a spot where it could be intercepted. I'm throwing it away. I think that's what defensemen have to learn. That's the only area of the game that I think Kevin has to learn, and I think he will learn it. But those types of defensemen are are really, really, really so valuable because of the way they take the puck on their stick and, and only positive things for the most part happen. Wow. I mean, I, I'm suddenly a big fan of Kevin. So I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> I, I mean, he sounds like a, like a, a hell of a player and certainly dynamic offensively. Let's turn our attentions to the Red Wings. And this is my thoughts, Craig, on the Red Wings and where they're at right now. Uh, they draft eighth overall. Uh, and uh, this coming Thursday, as it stands now, you know, once the wheeling and dealing, they all get to Montreal, Lord knows what's going to happen. But with that said, I believe with Edvinson, whom I believe is going to be a Red Wing, I think he makes the team. I've heard nothing but good things about Albert Johansson, who's a guy that don't sleep on him. He's, uh, you know, he's not as big as Edvinson or Mo Sider, but he is dynamic offensively, and he's really come of age last year, I believe, in the SHL. With all that said, I would assume that even though Steve has said that we have to, you know, we need to improve all over the ice, uh, I think it might be time for the Red Wings to concentrate maybe on trying to replenish the stock at forward. Not that they don't have some prospects, but if they can get some really high-end skilled guys in goal scoring, which is impo- I know it's real difficult, I understand all that, that forward might be where they go at number eight, and specifically if they could. If they could find a second-line center with the eighth overall pick, I think Steve would you know jump on it in a heartbeat, but... Uh, your assessment of the Red Wings and where you think maybe their mindset is heading into uh, the draft this week? Well, you know, I look at it in, like in a couple of ways. And I, I think that, you know, the building blocks, you know, are, are, are in place and some real good ones. And, you know, you don't have to start any further than Mo Sider, uh, you know, the rookie of the year. And, and then you got Simon Edmondson coming. I mean, I mean, that looks like a pair that can play for 15 years and, and, and be real dominant. And, 
you know, dominant in, in so many different ways in the game. They're, they're big defensemen who can skate and get the puck up in the ice. Mo to me has more offensive ability than Simon, but, but Simon is Simon's going to make sure that you're not spending very much time in your own zone. And, and, and that's a real scene. And, and he'll contribute offensively. Don't get me wrong. It's just not going to be at, 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 at like a, at, at that high, high end level. You know, you talked about Albert Johansson. Albert Johansson, you know, watching him play years ago, you know, Sweden won the uh, mm-hmm. U18 championship in 2019. I mean, he was a he was a smaller defenseman because, he, you know, obviously he was only 17 at the time. He was fierce, a fierce competitor. <laughs> and as you watched him and as you watched him grow and grow and grow, I have no doubt he's going to be an NHL player for a long time because – you know, he, the physical maturity is taking place, but he, he's there. I mean, and, and, and I know this is hard, and I, and I want to be careful. With but just think about how hard Nicholas Cronwall played. Mm-hmm. Think about how every single game Nicholas played, he gave you everything he had. And if Nicholas only had 85%, he gave you 100% of that 85%. That, to me, is Albert Johansson. You know, you start to talk about, I mean, and there's skill. I mean, we, we know with Lucas Raymond, we know, you, you know, with, with Dylan Larkin and, you know, that they got some real good quality there. But two other areas that I think that they, you know, Jonathan Berggren had a good season last mm-hmm. year in Grand Rapids. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what he can do this year. I think that, you know, Sebastian Kosa, I've said this, I just was working the Memorial Cup arc. Right. I, I watched Sebastian play and I go, I, I just can't see any scenario where Steve Eisenman watches him play and closes his eyes and doesn't see some semblance of Andre Vasilevsky. I just, I, I just can't <laughs> see how he would. So, so that's a position. It's not going to be covered off next year or even the year after, but that's a position. When you get a guy, and I have no doubt Kosa is going to be a number one goaltender, Edvinson and Sider, Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin. Okay, so like, Good players, really good players, players that can make a difference. We can talk about all these other guys, but I'm going to go back to skill and size, skill and size, skill and size. In combination, I, I think the opportunity might be there. You know, I'm not suggesting you force feed it. I'm not suggesting right. that it's only at eight, but I think that that's the next area. You know, Jakob Verana, who's a really good goal scorer. Right. I think Red Wings fans, after he came back from his shoulder surgery, saw what he's capable of doing. There's some skill there. And, you know, you got you, you got some size with and, – and Bertuzzi's a good player. And Giovanni Smith adds some size there. You can add skill and size. There might be some opportunity there. I don't know how they rate Cutter Goche or Jimmy Steigerud. I know how I rate them. Right. And I said it earlier. Size and skill, size and skill. Who doesn't want Miko Rantanen? Who doesn't want? Listen, you know, <laughs> if, and I'm, and this isn't a knock. This, I'm, like, I don't want this to come off as a criticism or anything. Mitch Marner's a heck of a player. He's the two-time, two back-to-back first-team All-Star right winger in the National Hockey League. Okay, right. I know this. I, I, I think Mitch is really good, but I'm taking Miko Rantanen over Mitch Marner every single time. Because he's a skilled, and he's way bigger. Wow. Well, you know that's that, that, that's quite a statement. With all that said, I want to ask you about a couple of players, and I'm really like going to be center heavy here. Just uh, even though they may never play yeah, sure. center, and there's a couple of uh, uh, also uh, maybe a sleeper uh, in, in, in the second round 
uh, a defenseman that I think that the Red Wings may uh, may have to take a long, hard look at. But the first guy, uh, my good buddy Max Boltman, who covers the Red Wings for the Athletic, has been high on him. A guy that we I, I keep hearing about that if he's at eight, he plays center. He might be the most NHL ready out of all the players that we've uh, uh, discussed. And uh, that is Marco Casper, who played for Rogla. Do you believe that Marco Casper? Uh, I don't know if he could step into the Red Wings <laughs> next year, but uh, that he would have a very uh, uh, short apprenticeship before he's a Red Wing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you, you need to put players in, in a longer proper development path. I, I never want to put a timeline. Mm-hmm. You know, it was only the second half of the year that Marco really took some real significant strides in his game, and and, and that was all a result. Number one in Rogla, you know, they, they gave him minutes, but they didn't give him prime minutes. He, he was playing third and fourth line at Rogla. Mm-hmm. You're telling me a third and fourth line center is going to come to the NHL? Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> Not next year. Like, he, he, can t- he, he needs to make six months, 12 months. And then he makes, needs to make 12 months, 24 months before he's even, in my view, before he's even close to ready. Big-time competitor really smart coming in like you know starting to starting to feel that like hey you know what like i can do more and and he wants to do more and he and he's assertive and he's got great initiative into his game you know i i think what you want to do with marco is what you want to do is set him up to have more offensive success because i can tell you what happens if you take a player like marco casper and you don't allow him to have offensive success he'll never have it if you want to do what the Montreal Canadiens did with Gasperi, Kotke, and Emmy, mm-hmm. go ahead. Go and do it. You get an NHL player. Gasperi just signed a long-term contract. He, he, he hasn't had offensive success since he was 17. Oh, what? He's going to find it now when he's 23? Not happening. Not happening. Let Marco go and build that offensive uh, you know, resume out. That's what I say. But you know, I know something. If you want a center, Marco Casper absolutely is somebody – that I, I, I would imagine there would be like good discussion on at, 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 at in the top 10 as a selection. Well, you know, a, a player may be the most intriguing. And, you know, everything that we've heard about him, he plays for Winnipeg, uh, Matt Savoy, only 5'9", 35 goals, 90 points total in 65 games for Winnipeg in the WHL. Uh, a, a, a player that, by all accounts... If you know, if he was four inches taller and a few pounds heavier, he'd be in the top five for sure. Um, do you take a chance at eight on Matt Savoy? And you know, and I, I agree with you. You know, he's five foot nine. Uh, is Detroit ready to take an eighth pick for a five foot nine center? I'm not so sure. Well, here's what I would say to you. Okay, so Matty has got real good speed and good skill and he gets to the open ice and you know he can take advantage and he can shoot the puck pretty good right but you know i'm not so sure he's not going to end up as a winger and and here and here's why i say that i think that his speed could be maximized better on the wing and he played he played he played significant amount of time this year on the wing so it wasn't just like he was just a center this year in winnipeg he played time on the wing this year so you know somebody that can you know get the puck on the move and and now his speed you know, becomes threatening because he's getting the puck moving 
uh, he's backing up defensively. He's got a little bit more space. And, you know, I, I and, and I that's where I get with Maddie with respect to, you know, like I project him as a winger in the NHL, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think, if you think that he, he can be a really good dynamic center, that, then that's a different story. And, you know, like, yeah, if he was three inches taller, two inches, like, yeah, yeah right. you know, we, we know all that. But he, here's the thing. If you go through the NHL and you can go do the exercise or you can give me the answer if you know it real quick, top two centermen in the NHL that are five foot, uh, that, that are under five foot ten, there's one. And if you can tell me who it is. Oh, wow. Boy, that's a tough one. Let me think. It's Braden Point. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? That, so, I, he was on my uh, top of mind there, Craig. <laughs> okay, well, good. There we go. Well, well, guess who has lots of experience with Braden Point? Oh, the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. Right. So, you know, and, and I know this for fact. You know, when they were going in and watching Morgan Riley in, in, in his draft year, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and – Braden Point had just come up. He 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 he'd been playing U sixteen, and he he came up for the playoffs. And Steve was asking Al Murray, "Who's this kid?" And Al said, "Isaac. He's two years away. He can't be drafted for two years." And the game's going on, and Steve goes, "Who is this kid again?" <laughs> like so, you know, the, the, like Steve's eyes were drawn to him because Braden was that good. Okay, so you know, Steve evaluating, understanding. Steve has so many layers, again, in terms of his expertise from playing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and watching, you know, playing against other smaller centers, watching how other smaller centers may operate, having the Braden Point experience to be able to really look at Matty Savoy and go, you know what, I think that he can be a good center or not. And that's not a knock against Matty, but Steve's in a very unique situation to 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 really contribute to that discussion in a real significant way. And I would suggest that might carry a lot of weight. Right. Well, you know, another player that really intrigues me and, you know, again, and it's a voice teammate uh, in Winnipeg in the WHL is, uh, is kind of geeky. I mean, six, three and a half, 24 goals in 63 games, uh, 70 points total, 190 pounds. I find him intriguing, or are there better prospects than Connor where you look at it and say, yeah, he's a big center, maybe he could be a second-line center. Do you take a flyer at eight, or do you do you just hold off on him? Well, I think yeah. part of this is, is evaluation of the player's attributes, and then trying to assess the potential. And I, like, for me, it's, it's real simple with Connor. Like his, his skating has to improve mm-hmm. for him to have, an, to, for him to be able to be a real t- top end NHL. When I say top end, a top two line center, he's not going to be a number one center in my view, but for him to be a number two center in the national hockey league, the skating is going to have to improve. Well, I can guarantee you this, Art. teams are looking at it in a lot of different ways. They have their, they have their physiology department look at it and go, how much can he improve? You have your skating group, uh, sk- uh, skating coaches. How much can you work with them to improve? So if you think that you can take Connor Geeky and get him up to, to, to a higher level skating-wise, then th- there's no reason why you wouldn't consider him higher in the draft. 
But if you don't think that, you're not going to draft him higher in the draft. And I, I'm talking in the first round. I'm not talking third round as opposed to first round. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it comes down to that assessment. And it, it would be great if everybody looked at it the same way. Connor's smart. He's competitive. He's hard on the puck. You know, he, 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 he's one of those players that plays in, in, in a real heavy game. You know, he, he might end up being Nick Paul. He might end up being like mm -hmm. uh, Adam Lowry. Well, I can only tell you this. Is there anything wrong with Adam and, uh, having an Adam Lowry or Nick Paul on your team? There isn't. But again, know what you're getting. And sometimes you, you, you're just working on ranges. You're going, okay, What's his, what, what, what do you think he, everything working out the best, what could he be? Everything, you know, at the very least, what could he be? So if you think that he could be, I'll just use an example. If you think he could be Logan Couture, you're taking him high. Right. If you, if you don't think he can be Logan Couture, but you think he could be Nick Paul or Adam Lowry, you, you're not dismissing him, but you're not taking him as high. And, and then you try to assess it there. But that's, that's where I think it comes down to for Connor Geeky. Well, you know, I, I, I want to go to uh, uh, a couple of other uh, uh, prospects that are going to have University of Michigan ties because they're both going to be playing uh, uh, for the Wolverines uh, this upcoming uh, uh, season. Both of them uh, from the uh, development program out in Plymouth uh, on the USA U18 team, which seems to be pretty loaded this year. Uh, as far as, as draft picks. The first one, a guy that I really like because I like his compete level so much, and he's he's a local kid from Mount Clemens, Michigan, is uh, is uh, uh, Frank uh, Nazur, who uh, uh, that I know that Frank himself has says, look, I'm better than three or four guys that are rated ahead of me, so he doesn't lack confidence, which is always good. But what can you tell us about Frank's game? I mean, he's not the biggest guy at 5'10", 180, yet... He has a compete level that uh, that just doesn't stop. I think Frank is one of the best skaters in the draft. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with having confidence. Hey, listen, if you don't think you're good, well, you know what? Then why would anybody else think you're good? I have no problem with uh, Frank saying, hey, I think I'm better good. He should. <laughs> to me, there's like Frank to me is one of those. And I'm sure if I was in scouting meetings, this is the discussion I would be leading. Okay, is he is he a real is he a real good solid two way center, or could he be more of a dynamic offensive winger? The skating again, like the, I see some similarities between him and, and Matthew Savoy. Excellent skaters. Do I want them to be able to get the puck on the move, like you know where they're backing up defensemen, and now and, and now space opens up for them because defensemen have to turn, and now you can use that speed to to really create opportunities for yourself, and you don't have to worry about distributing the puck because in the middle of the ice you got to be thinking about distributing the puck, you know where where pressure's coming against you, you know how teams are trying to you know work uh, you away from your strengths. When, when, when you've got speed on the wing and you've got a good playmaking center, a good distributing uh, puck distributing center, you, you can make plays to those players and now you get the puck. So I think Frank would be a really good two-way center because he's, he's, he's really responsible defensively. He really understands the game, you know, without the puck. But I don't know if I want him to be a distributing I don't know if he's a distributing centerman. Right. And that, that that doesn't mean he, he isn't. I, I just think that there's there's two different areas of the game 
that, that for me create a conundrum. And this is where I'd be leading the discussion on him. Okay, what do we see him as? Where do we think he could be at his best? What does Frank think of his game? Where does Frank see him at his best, right? And, you know, a good skating two-way centerman, you know, that can, that can really create, uh, you know, uh, positive uh, impacts defensively and offensively. They're valuable players. And so what I would say is, like, if, if I'm looking at Frank and I'm saying, okay, as a centerman, here's what I would expect. 50, 55 points, maybe at a top end. But at, as, a, as a right winger, he might be a 65 or 70-point guy because of the skating and getting the puck. Right. Probably more of a 50-point guy if he's in the middle of the ice as opposed to a 65, 70-point guy on the wing. Those are two different things. Those are two different areas of productivity. They're both good, but that's where I find myself with Frank. Uh, well, his teammate at Michigan and his teammate on the, uh, the U18 team for the uh... – uh, for the development program, um, uh, I, I, I think how can you not love his name? Uh, oh. uh, Rutger uh, McGrody, um, 6'1", 204 pounds. Uh, you know, he seems to have, again, a real high compete level and, and plays a, a bit of a rugged game. Well, the only thing I would say to you, to, to him, when, when, when you get an opportunity to interview him, just get him to admit that Nebraska should have never been co-winners of the 1997 national championship. <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> Michigan won. I don't know if I ever told you this story. Uh, uh, you know, I was living, I lived in Ann Arbor for 12 years, as right. you know, and you know, we were living. So we sold our house. We sold our house. We, we were on the old West side. So we, we literally, we moved a hundred yards around the corner. That's how, that's how short a move it was. Anyway, but we sold our house to this, to this young couple, we were young too at that time, but a, a younger couple than us, and they moved in, and you know they were moving into the area, and they moved into the house, and I remember coming around the corner one day, and right at the front of the house was this big Nebraska Cornhuskers flag, and I remember thinking to myself, I go, we should have done a little bit more research on this. How can they come into Michigan, into Ann Arbor with that flag? How can they do that? Anyway, <laughs> all kidding aside. You know, Rutger, you know, from, you know, from, you know, coming out of Nebraska, you, you described him. I mean, he, 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 he plays the game for one reason, to win, to win. And he'll do anything to win, anything to win. He, 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 he will lay it on the line. You know, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's an interesting player in person because, you know, when, when we talk about the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, I think it totally applies to Rutger. You know, what he brings to a team, what he brings on the ice, what he brings to different situations it, it, it is really impactful. And I think you need, I think that, you know, Rutger needs to be patient with himself. I think whoever drafts him needs to be patient with him. But you're going to get a player that's going to just dig in so hard in so many different areas. I, I was lucky. We drafted Jamie Lagenbrunner from Minnesota High School up in Cloquet. And, he, you know, he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion with Dallas and New Jersey. Uh, just a great competitor. But, but he helped the team in, in, in multiple ways all the time. I, I think Rutger has a similar type approach to the game. And I just have so much respect for Jamie and what he did, uh, not only for our team in Dallas, but what he did over the course of his career. That, you know, Rutger, I think, can have a similar, similar type impact and similar type contributions to, to, to whatever team he ends up with. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think Rutger is a number eight pick. 
uh, no. or anything, but, uh, but, but, but he is intriguing. And, uh, and you know me, I'm going to ask you about some of the incoming freshmen at Michigan oh, for sure. class, but you know, another player that I really, really like, and he's not big five foot eight and a quarter, 158 pounds, 63 points in uh, 60 games for the U and I'm not, you know, okay, I'm an American and we're doing this on the 4th of July, but I'm not obsessed. I mean, it just happens that players that really intrigue me happen to be playing for the, uh, for the development program this year, but a kid that I really, really like, and I'm not saying it with the eighth pick, but the Red Wings have a pick in the second round at number 40, number 52, and then in the third round, number 73. So they have four picks in the top 73 players uh, as it stands right now, and then three picks in the fourth round. We can get into it. They have 10 total, as I said earlier. Lane Hudson seems, wow, I don't know. I mean, you know, and I'm not saying it because I'm from Livonia and Tori Krug is from Livonia, but whoa, I'm looking at this kid as, ooh, this might be a very tough guy for the Red Wings to say no to. Well, I mean, you mentioned Livonia. I mean, my affinity for Livonia players begins and ends with Mike Madonna. Yeah, no so, doubt. Uh, sorry, no sorry, doubt. sorry, sorry, Art. But... Well, he went to my high school, at least for a year. So uh, so I'm a big fan of Mike's, too. Yeah, I know you are. I know you are. Here's what I think about Lane, okay? I really do. I think if Lane was 5'10", 5'10 and a half, 5'10 and a 5'11", you'd be talking about him in the, in, the, in the top three picks. You'd be talking about him as potentially – uh, in the discussion for first overall. That's what I think. I've watched Tory Krug at that age. Well, I, I shouldn't say exactly at that age, but when he was just a little bit older. And, you know, I see so many similarities to Tory Krug. What, what, what I think about Lane, though, and, and one of the things, and, and again, I go back to, we talked a little bit about Lucas Raymond, but smaller players, the one thing you have to be able to do is not have your game you, – you can't allow opponents to shrink your game because of your size. Mm -hmm. and, and by shrink, what I mean is you, you, you can't not be involved defensively. You cannot not be involved in areas that are real and close quarters. And so when I watch Lane play, he never gets his game shrunk because of the game of the game situations. He's got great anticipation. He's, got, he's an excellent skater with his pivoting and his footwork and his edge work. So he's always able to be able to, to maneuver in, in and out of – into advantageous positions and out of uh, potential disadvantageous positions. His mind is awesome. He, he knows how to create space. He's got that unbelievable ability to hold a puck and give you a head fake and break you down. And, and here's how I'm going to finish with Lane. If, if, like, Art, you're a baseball fan. I'm mm -hmm. a baseball fan. I know this. If you step up to the plate and you want to hit a home run, you have to swing for the fences. If, 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 if you want to hit a home run and you're, and you're swinging for singles, you're not going to hit a home run. I think with Lane Hudson, if you want to swing for the fences, and keep this in mind for the Red Wings, they have Simon Edmondson. They have. Right, they have size. Players. Yes, they do. You can't have. Uh, like you can't, you, I don't think you can have more than one uh, Lane Hudson on your team. But if you have one that's that good, and that talented, and you have the support around them, poof, sign me up. Well, you know, a, a former Red Wing coach Jeff Blaschel used to say, because obviously he was really tight with Tory Krug, and he would say that, uh, 
you know, Tory at his size, to be an NHLer, you have to have one aspect of your game that you are exceptional at. And Tory Krug's obviously is running a power play. Uh, but but he said, you know, and, and that, unfortunately, because 10 out of 10 times, if players are of equal stature, shall we say, and one is five foot eight, and the other one is six foot two. You're going to go with the six foot two guy, ten out of ten times. You know, Jeff always used to say that. He goes, "It's not fair, and it might not even be right, but that's just the way it is." And so, uh, and it sounds like uh, Lane Hudson kind of has the potential to be that. And, uh, and well, so I'm not, but, I'm not that surprised. Hey, listen, I can only tell you this. I can only tell you this. Jeff is right. Everything being equal. Here's the challenge, okay? Not uh, everything isn't always equal, right? <laughs> right? True, boy, and, is like, that true? Well, no, no. Like so, like, and, and what Lane possesses, like, there is only one thing Lane Hudson lacks. Only one thing: height. Right. Wow. <laughs> so factor it in. Like I said, you know, I go back to I use football all the time. You know what? If you, if you have an offensive line that's made up of wide receiver type bodies, you're not going to be very good. Mm-hmm. And if you have and if you have wide receivers that are built along the physical lines of offensive linemen, you're not going to be very good. <laughs> but you know what? Those big offensive linemen can protect the quarterback, and those fast receivers can give real rewards to the offensive linemen for allowing the quarterback to be able to throw the ball downfield. It's the same thing with hockey players. Same thing. You cannot have a whole team. You can, I said, you, you can have one Lane Hudson on your team, one on the blue line, and you better have them supported. I think that Lane has a lot of quality. So you got to look at the situation, but I'm going to say it again. If you want to hit a home run, you better swing for the fences. Wow. Okay. If you're not swinging for the fences, don't think you're hitting a home run. You're going to hit a single. Uh, you know, I, I have no pull with Steve Eisman at all, but I'm definitely going to uh, text him Lane Hudson's name just so he's aware of him. <laughs> but uh, any other players that we haven't mentioned, because we really have to wrap this up. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we've talked. Well, we talked before we got on it. You know, we're, we're going on almost two hours here uh, just of talking to each other, which is always enjoyable for me. But uh, with that said, anybody that you that you would like maybe Red Wing fans to be aware of that we have not mentioned? Uh, well, I, like, I, I think that they're in a they're in the process of, you know, you think about. I, I'm going to go back. Let me let, let me start this over again. Okay. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, they they pick Steven Stamkos first and Victor Hedman second, and you know, you you look at where they how significant those players have been when when they were a team at near the bottom of the league, right? But but it was long lasting. But 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 you look at every other area. Of, of, of the organization and, and what they did drafting Vasilevsky 19th in my view the best player in that draft right uh, you start to you, well I mean you start to go through you know drafting Andre Plot late you start by looking at making a trade for Eric Chernak you look at you know drafting Alex Kalorn in the fourth round obviously you draft Braden Point you draft Kucherov there's going to be really good players come from different parts of the draft but when I talk about building out a team, I, I, I tell former players this all the time, and it certainly applies to somebody as successful as Steve Eisenman. He knows what a winning team looks like. He knows what a winning team smells like. And he knows what gives a, gives a winning team success. 
And to me, you know, you you got to draft players and you got to draft skill and you got to draft players that can be impact. But when we and we went back to the eighth pick, and I, I, I'm certainly not going to start telling Steve Eisenman what he should be doing or what he shouldn't be doing. But I know this: Steve knows, and you know the opportunity may come with the eighth pick this year. It may come at a different point in the draft, but you need to round out your skill. But when you have Sebastian Kosa, Simon Edmonds, and Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin, you know, you have those players, Tyler Bertuzzi, you have those players, like, that's a pretty good starting six. Right. And, I, and like, yeah, I know Edmondson isn't there yet, and I know Kosa isn't there yet. But those are all, these are all players that have an opportunity, you know, to, to, to move forward. They've had success. In five years' time, will they all be there? Probably not, but there's a real base of quality, high-end quality in their group. Now what I think you're, you're doing is another opportunity exists at eight. I don't think there's any doubt they'll get a high-quality player, and then you're going to keep building it out. I, I talk about Albert Johansson. You mm-hmm. know, he's just one example of somebody that can help you build it out. You know, Carter, like Carter Mazur, like, like there's a player, okay, went through a draft. Mm-hmm. They drafted him last year. Denver this year wins a national championship with Denver. That helps. He's a hard-nosed competitive player. So now all of a sudden, like, you're starting to see a theme here with some of the players they're drafting. And let's not forget that when you go back to the Red Wings' success, you know, obviously Steve Eiserman and Nicholas Lidstrom and uh, Igor Larionov and Pavel Datsuk and Zetterberg, they're all parts of it. Chris Draper was every bit of a part of it. Right. Kirk Maltby. Darren McCarty, uh, Marty LaPointe, all right. really important players to the success of the Detroit Red Wings. No That's doubt. what I mean. Steve Steve knows. Steve knows. Right, right. No, definitely. And, you know, I, I, I neglected to ask you this. I probably should have right off the top, and I promise this is the last question, Craig, so you can, uh, uh, you know, e- enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, uh, Red Wings did make a coaching move, a coaching hire finally. Uh, on Friday of uh, of last week, where they uh, they hired Derek Lalone from uh, from the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Lightning. I guess Red Wing fans weren't surprised uh, about where he came from. Uh, but uh, uh, do you have any thoughts on the Red Wing coaching situation? How familiar are you with Derek? He seems to have followed a. You know, I, I, I joked with him that uh, maybe uh, Ferris State University with Bob Daniels, who's been their longtime head coach, maybe uh, uh, that uh, another Livonia guy, by the way, Bob Daniels, that maybe uh, Ferris is the cradle of coaches like they used to say about Miami of Ohio years ago in football. But uh, uh, any thoughts on, on Detroit's coaching hire? I know Derek, and I've known Derek for a long time. And you think about Derek's path and you think, and just go and forget about his path. You can go look at his path. Just go look at the success he's had. It's not accidental. Mm-hmm. It's not accidental whatsoever. And, you know, obviously Steve uh, knows Derek uh, from his time in uh, Tampa Bay, but, but, but let's rewind even further than that. I know when Steve Eisenman hired John Cooper to coach Norfolk, you know what? There's who's John Cooper. Well, right, right. anybody that doesn't know who John Cooper is now in the hockey world isn't paying attention. Right, so right. Steve does his homework. He knows what he's looking for in a coach. And, you know, you, you, you understand where your team is at. And I think that Derek, Derek's sharp. And, and here's the other thing about Derek. Derek's shrewd. He's shrewd. I think to be a top coach in the National Hockey League, you not only have to be smart. You, you, forget about systems play. 
you need to be shrewd and you need to be cunning. You need to understand how to take advantage of any situation that you're confronted with in a game and over a course of a series. You need to know how to handle players. And I have no doubt in my mind. And when I say no doubt in my mind, or understand that no is 100% that Derek can do an excellent job with the Detroit Red Wings. Big fan of Derek. Well, great. Well, on that note, uh, and I hate to say it, I never want to say goodbye, Craig, because I could go on and on and on. But uh, we will end it there. Um, I, I can't thank you enough uh, uh, for joining us, the uh, scouting director for TSN. And uh, you, you see, you know, you, I see you all the time on the NHL Network. Any big junior tournament, I mean, you're the man that's uh, that's that's breaking it all down. Do excellent work, and uh, thank you very, very much, Craig. Now, I don't know, maybe after the draft, depending on how it all plays out, it gets real crazy, and depending on what the Red Wings do. Maybe we'll have you uh, on again. And speaking of Sebastian Kosa, I promised him <laughs> that that when he gets to Detroit this coming week, at the end of the week for the development camp, that uh, I will do a podcast with him. And uh, but uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have uh, uh, we'll have you back on very very soon if your time permits. And uh, we'll break down the uh, draft in general and what the Red Wings did. Craig, thank you so so much. I words cannot express my gratitude. Uh, I really appreciate your time, and it was a lot of it today so thank you i know i know how much you appreciate it and that means the world to me and i'll tell you what art anytime you ask the answer is yes okay well uh okay i'm gonna hold you to it but no i appreciate that so much craig and you have a a great day enjoy the draft it should be a lot of fun i can't wait and uh, we'll talk to you very very soon thank you craig thank you